1: This is The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to The Rusk
0: Report on ESPN AM 1520. I have a beautiful view where we are taping remotely for ESPN Radio, and I'm with a very famous man, Eric Riker. We did a program on his book a year ago. And the book is Sail the World, Everything You Need to Know to Circumnavigate the Globe. And he and his wife are active with a circumnavigators group in Palm Beach, Florida. To tell you a little bit about Eric Reichert, his background includes a degree in engineering from Northwestern University and a MBA from Harvard Business School with high distinction. He spent 30 years in the automotive industry as a product planner and then vice president of export operations at Ford in England. He convinced Henry Ford II that his concept, the Fiesta, had a major market potential in the United Kingdom and then implemented the Fiesta in Europe where it still holds a major market share. I think that was a billion dollar success story, wasn't it? Yes. Wonderful. I'm, I'm still trying to follow in your footsteps.
2: <laughs> that, that was a billion in
0: 1977 dollars. Well, then today it would probably be five billion dollars, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, Forty-five years later? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, you're the billion dollar man. Eric Reichert, our guest today on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. He's a a man who really accomplished himself in business. He's active with philanthropy with his lovely wife, Lady Susan, who's active with wonderful causes such as Project Hope and many arts causes. So let's talk a little bit uh, now. We have into the new year as of the taping date. We have a new president of the United States um, where Donald Trump lowered taxes, and Donald Trump only lives about three miles north of where we're taping in Palm Beach Florida he lowered taxes Biden's going to raise taxes he says that he's going to raise taxes that on people who only make more than four hundred thousand dollars a year but I understand he's throwing away the Trump tax cuts so the little guy I think is going to be hit with much higher taxes too so how are we in America you're a success story with your wife how are we going to handle higher taxes in 2021 Eric Riker Well,
2: of course we still don't know yet precisely what um, uh, what taxes there Biden is actually talking about because um, you know he, he still has to work through his party split on, on issues. Um, but you know historically, uh, democratic tax policies have always um, uh, resulted in slower growth and uh, potential job losses. So, um, how will we handle them? Um, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, the the consequence of the democratic um, tax policies are, are really well established. I actually would prefer that every politician have to take a course in economics, but even independent um, uh, think tanks like the Hoover Institute at Stanford have documented how devastating many of the uh, tax um, increases and um, uh, you know are to the economy. And when you hurt the economy, you hurt you create job losses, which hurts everybody. And um, that. And, and reduces the overall income for the government, which then is in a, a sort of a death spiral, uh, because then you want to raise taxes to cover the taxes you've lost because you lost business. It's a terrible situation, and I certainly hope that uh, uh, good uh, knowledge will prevail. Oh, I
0: hope so too. I'm very scared because um, I, I've said to a lot of people, Many people liked Donald Trump's policies, but they didn't like his personality. Um, it's a sad situation because I think he will go down in history as a, a great president, a disruptor. Uh, he really dug away at the swamp in Washington. And uh, I think often the inaccuracy of the media. Um, I'm, I'm a very conservative uh, talk show host, but I'm a rare. It might be 1%. Almost are extremely left-wing, liberal, and biased uh, in America. Um, Now, let's talk about electric cars. Um, I, before the taping, was referring to Eric Reichert as sort of a predecessor of Tesla. He was a man with vision with the Ford Fiesta. And now we understand earlier in the show that we're talking really about a $5 billion dollar A success story, uh, quite different from the Edsel, which you often talk about, (laughs) which was uh, probably a hundred million dollar disaster, but you made, you marketed basically an attractive small car in a time when energy was expensive, right after the energy crisis in the 70s, and you made a great success story uh, worldwide our guest, Eric Reichert. Now, uh, it seems that people are enamored with electric cars. I'm, I'm sort of old-fashioned. I like the hum of an engine. Uh, so, oh, I've been in Teslas. I mean, they, they're so fast that you get whiplash. Um, and I guess they're sort of the price of an uh, expensive Mercedes, a Tesla. But I'm sort of old-fashioned. But now we have electric cars, and it seems that there's a drive uh, by a lot of these energy folks to have all cars electric. And I saw in the newspaper before this taping that there was a police car in one of the major cities that was all electric. So uh, where where do you see the all electric cars? Are we going to see more and more of this? Or are we going to see and take over the automotive industry? Uh, how do you see it, Eric Riker?
2: Well, uh, in Europe, um, uh, the Europeans have really um, uh, set the pace because they've declared for legal purposes that um, all cars uh, should be electric by 2030, which is only 10 years away, and in the scope of things that's um, that's a very, very short time for changing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the United States, electric cars today are generally uh, under 2% of the new market. Um, which is not very um, uh, impressive uh, but I'm I believe that electric cars will definitely be increasing at a rapid race rate in the next five to ten years um, but by the way I uh, I don't call electric cars are sometimes called zero emission or um, n- no emission uh, I, I prefer to call them remote emission because um, you have to generate the electricity to charge the vehicles somewhere and by the way I you know, in all of these discussions um, of and people with zeal for electric cars uh, don't mention the uh, need to increase the power generation capability the transmission lines the local distribution network of electricity uh, the need to you know, have power delivered to practically every parking space Um, and uh, this will dramatically change um, a lot of our infrastructure. Um, However, you know, many of the cars uh, coming out recently have ranges of 300 to 400 miles, which um, means that um, if you're driving around town um, there's no worry about, you know, lack of charge. Um, most people don't drive more than three or four hundred miles a day uh, around a city. Um, so it's only an issue if you're going to travel cross-country. So um, yeah, I think um, electric cars will uh, increase. Um, uh, you know, issues like where do you find enough lithium for the batteries, etc., uh, are still there. By the way, I, I drove an electric car at Ford in 1970. Um, and 50, how was it? How far
0: could you go with that?
2: Well, it was, it was just a, basically a, a current uh, car uh, modified with uh, lead-acid batteries. Mm-hmm. It, it had very, relatively short range, it was quite heavy, um, but it, you know it, um, it was an electric car which we could drive around the town. Um, You know, it was not suitable for commercial sale, and we never progressed it beyond the the study. Uh, And and the issue's been battery technology. So for 50 years it's been battery technology, and it'll be another 50 years of battery technology, I predict.
0: Well, uh, there was an interesting point you made of the pollution that is taking place in the processing of the electricity. Uh, How do you see it environmentally? Is there going to be more damage done with the production of the power uh, than the saving of pollution from an electric car? Is it sort of an equal balance? Or do you think it really will end up with more pollution with the production of the power for the electricity?
2: Well, it, it all depends upon how you produce the power. Um, obviously, if um, if you did this with coal power plants, i probably we be as bad or worse, you know, than um, fuel-efficient um, internal combustion engine cars. Um, if it's done with um, uh, gas, um, natural gas, oh, it is not quite as bad. We certainly can't generate as much electricity like some of the greens would like, you know, by just wind or solar. And and if you do that, you still need batteries, huge batteries. To um, you know, hold power overnight or uh, when there's no wind. So um, it's a very sticky situation. Um, I would say that uh, you know I would prefer actually uh, uh, uranium you know uh, plants um, which don't pollute the air. Um, I know there's issues with um, uh, long-term effects of um, radiation, etc. but uh, I think that can be managed.
0: Well, why don't we hear, uh, this is the first time I've heard your idea of uranium-powered automobiles. No, why no, no, power plants. Power plants. Well, even that. Why haven't we heard this in, in the uh, mainstream media,
2: of well, because, getting the
0: power from uranium?
2: Well, because, you know, people, um, the, many people, became very disenchanted with um, nuclear power plants as a result of both Chernobyl and the, uh, the issue of the one in Japan Israel uh, you know that uh, that storm um, however you know everything is an engineering an um, uh, engineering pro or con and you improve over time and I think um, you know France at one point was uh, like 60 or 70 percent um, mm-hmm. um, nuclear. So it can be done, it has been done, and it has been done safely. I can see the fear. I went on a humanitarian mission to
0: the Ukraine, and we did go to Chernobyl, and it was a devastating uh, sight uh, to see all these homes and playgrounds and toys just standing there when people were evacuated. So I, I can understand that. For those who just tuned into the Rust Report, we're honored to have back by popular demand Eric Reichert, who was a great pioneer in the automotive industry. We're taping this remotely in his lovely home in Palm Beach, Florida. And if you have any thoughts or comments, if you're listening in Montreal or South Buffalo, where Mr. Reichert's father was born in Buffalo, New York... Or down in Washington, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. And we have received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand, so we'd like to hear from you. A little plug here Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampol Legal has been writing about Polish American traditions and events. For over 50 years, that's the hometown of your father, Eric. The Ampol Legal, news and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegmans stores for home delivery. Call 716. 716- 835-9454 that's 716-835-9454 You have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. A little bit more information about Eric Reichert. Uh, he convinced Henry Ford II that his concept of Ford Fiesta had a major ma- market potential in the United Kingdom and then implemented the Fiesta in Europe where it still holds a major market share. Eric Reichardt was president and CEO of several divisions and entities at Chrysler. Lee Iacocca took him with him from Ford to Chrysler, where Eric Reichardt was president and CEO of Accostar, the parts supplier for Chrysler and president and CEO of Chrysler, Mexico. A very accomplished career, and he and his lovely wife Susan now do so much uh, for philanthropy and the arts and culture Uh, in the United States. Now, let's get back to your sailing, and I'll give a plug to your book here. The book, if you want to get it, uh, is available on Amazon, and um, Barnes and Noble, I believe. You can order it there. Just Amazon. The book is Sail the World, Everything You Need to Know to Circumnavigate the Globe by Eric A. Reichert on Amazon. And let's talk about what was your highlight when you went around the globe, most people like me, I just, I have a little boat, a 17-foot boat, 16-foot, and I just go up and down the Erie Canal, you know, maybe half a mile, I think, but I don't go 20, 30,000 miles. So um, what was the highlight of sailing across the globe? Eric Reichert, again, author of Sail the World, Everything You Need to Know to Circumnavigate the Globe, available at Amazon. Eric Reichert.
2: Well, I think the you know, the biggest challenge and, and the biggest reward was crossing oceans, which is different than coastal sailing or sailing up the river. Um, that's because it's um, you're out of sight of land for well, it was 17 and a half days um, in the Atlantic, 18 and a half days in the Pacific for me. Um, but you're out of um, out of reach by most normal uh, rescue services. You are totally on your own um, and and you must uh, be careful uh, handle all challenges and you're responsible not only for your own life but the life of the crew you have on board. Um, So to do that um, I did a risk analysis um, of every potential risk that might occur when you're this far away from assistance and um, I made sure the boat was designed to handle various risks. Uh, it, it was equipped for it and I was prepared for it. In other words I had developed in my mind plans for how I would react to any given emergency and um, as a result of that uh, we actually had uh, uh, relatively uh, um, undramatic passages and it was, um, but you get into another world in the middle of the ocean because there's no one around you, no airplanes, no other people, and you're the only ones around. And you get into a sort of a life cycle um, the, the the time is changing because you're moving across the globe, um, and it it was such a, a delightful experience. I sometimes was actually disappointed that I reached the destination and had to join the normal world again.
0: Now let's talk. Uh, you said it was quiet at times. Let's talk about a little excitement that got you a little bit nervous and. Your wife is even a little bit concerned talking about it yesterday, and that's you had an encounter. You suspected these people to be pirates. I believe they were asking for water, but they had things covered up on their boat, and I believe you probably thought they were machine guns or arms of some type. So let's talk about that experience with Eric Reichert uh, going around the world. Again, the book is Sail the World, Everything You Need to you Know to circumnavigate the globe by Eric A. Reichert. Let's talk about your experience where you were concerned that you had pirates to deal with right next to your
2: yourself. Well, we um, of course, we went through the Gulf of Aden and then up the Red Sea. And in both areas, uh, they were pirate uh, areas. Um, and I had actually plotted uh, the uh, pirate attacks in the last, the previous three years. You know, where they occurred, and so we, have, we carefully avoided some of those areas and we went through other areas very fast. But near the top end of the Red Sea, we pulled uh, into a small little harbor um, and anchored. It was sort of like a, a sand dune surrounding us. We were protected from the waves, uh, but not from the wind. But we were anchored, which meant we had no mobility. Uh, when we were approached by this f- small fishing boat with three men in it and um, they were wearing balaclavas you know the, um, the the knit coverings that cover your whole uh, head and face other than your eyes. You, th- you thought they would look like bank robbers that, well, with uh, their face covered. Yes, yeah. um, and they approached um, so what I did was um, I, I had six people in total on board at that point. So I, uh, I had everyone come up and we lined the rail, six abreast, right. um, all looking at them. Uh, at that point, they, um, when they approached, they said they needed water, which is sort of ludicrous because what fisherman goes to see wanting <laughs> to fish and not having enough water? Um, I think they had changed their mind on what they were going to do. But anyway, I, I filled a bottle, a plastic bottle of water, and uh, we didn't allow them near the boats so they could touch it. Um, and I threw them the bottle of water and they disappeared. But I think the uh, show of force um, changed their mind and what they might wanted to do. Well, it would be a scary situation to me.
0: Uh, let's uh, get back to uh, a topic about the automotive industry, but before we do, For those who have just tuned in, our guest is Eric A. Riker, he's the author of Sail the World, Everything You Need to Know to Circumnavigate the Globe, and it's available at Amazon. And Lee Iacocca took Eric Riker with him from Ford to Chrysler, where Eric Riker was president and CEO of Accustar, the parts supplier for Chrysler, and president and CEO of Chrysler Mexico. Our guest today, Eric Reichert. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, cars and if the gas prices go up, what cars do you think will be marketed? We've talked about electric, but are we going to see smaller cars, lighter cars? Uh, What is the future going to hold if gas prices? Right now uh, in Palm Beach, Florida and New York State, it's around Two dollars and twenty cents a gallon. Let's say it goes up to three dollars and twenty cents a gallon. What type of cars do you think are going to be promoted?
2: Well, um, right now, you know, sport utility vehicles or crossover vehicles um, are the norm, and even Rolls Royce and Bentley make them. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I that clearly indicates that. Um, at the current level of um, gasoline um, that uh, people look to having large space and, and the flexibility of a sport utility. Um, you know, Historically, um, way back in the 60s and 70s, um, the space configuration of the vehicle was in station wagons. Um, then it was superseded by Uh, minivans right, and now the uh, sport utilities are... uh, I think that um, what that proves is that in America at least um, people expect and like large uh, volume vehicles. Now if the gas prices go up, I I don't know if two to three dollars will have much impact, but um, uh, if you went to four dollars or so, yes, people but the problem is that nearly all of the car manufacturers have retooled their production lines and, and they could not react to a very quick change. Now, with electric cars, so as a consequence I think electric cars would be one of the uh, first responses. And by the way, if electric cars started to take you know, huge volumes um, of the market, then the demand for gasoline would decrease which would then put pressure on the price, in other words, the price for gasoline might be decreasing because if, if in 10 years <clears throat> 60, 70, 80 percent of the vehicles are electric, the demand for gasoline is going to go down dramatically and that whole infrastructure is going to be struggling. Uh, so I think there's sort of a counterbalance to a, um, an unlimited rise in gasoline prices
0: i'm sorry we have to bring the rust report to a close i'd like to thank those who called regarding our recent guests richard earl grandson of the uh, great uh, general motors designer harley earl michael blehash leader of the polish american community in philadelphia and native american leader J.C. Seneca, thank you for your calls. We've learned a great deal from a great pioneer in the automotive industry, Eric Reichert. Again, his book of his Sailing Around the World is available at Amazon, Sail the World, Everything You Need to Know to Circumnavigate the Globe, by our guest, Eric Reichert. And uh, thank you to Kevin Carr, Director of Production, for the last 15 years. Thank you for enlightening us once again, Eric A. Reichert. Have a great week.
1: You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?